Then Jesus was led by the Spirit after his baptism into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. Liam, I was absolutely delighted with your excitement to be baptized this morning. Thank you. Liam told me uh, before his baptism, I got up at 6.30 this morning. It's like Christmas. It's just like Christmas. And it's interesting because before Jesus' baptism, everything was Christmas. We really don't have any other stories of Jesus' life much except Christmas. And one childhood story is stories of stars and mangers and shepherds and magi and visits in Bethlehem. But this is the first recorded story after Jesus' baptism. Read about the baptism of Jesus in the Gospels, and this is the first story of Jesus' life after baptism. It's a time of wilderness, it's a time of decision, it's a time of hunger, it's a time of exhaustion, and we have all been there both before and after our baptisms. Wilderness, tough decision-making moments of life, hungry for righteousness moments of life, famished and tired of wilderness and decisions and righteousness issues in life. So on the first Sunday of Lent, I thought I would share with you just a couple of things that I hear when I read this story, things that we might carry uh, from this place with us today and this week as we go. Uh, First of all, I want to say something very simple and something that almost everyone who walks into a church already knows. And that is that the scriptures are truly a great source of strength. And so Jesus in his wilderness, hungry from fasting, famished after 40 days of struggle, faced with decisions, face to face with the evil one, the first words out of his mouth, the source of his strength, the guide for the decisions that he was making were the scriptures. And so when he's faced with temptation, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Thou shalt not put the Lord God to the test. You shall worship the Lord God and serve only God. All of these verses happen to be in Deuteronomy. Verses that Jesus would have memorized getting ready for his bar mitzvah as a young man. And now in these difficult moments of life, he leans on the scriptures. This isn't going to be the last time that Jesus leans on the Scriptures. So when Jesus is cleansing the temple later in his life, overturning the tables of the money changers and driving out the sellers of the animals, the first words out of his mouth are, for it is written, in the book of Isaiah, by the way, quoting Scripture again, that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. In other words, you're only here to get what you can gain. You are not really concerned for other people. You're leaving people out, keeping people out. He quotes scripture as he faces the injustice and the evil of his day. Happens again. From the cross, we hear Jesus say those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And theologians have turned and twisted and danced with those words so many times. Jesus is simply quoting Psalm 22. 
He's quoting a psalm of lament that so many people in desperate and dying times have quoted before at the lowest point of their life. My God, why does it seem that you've forsaken me? He's not questioning God's presence. This is the same book of Psalm that says, where can I go from your presence? If I fly to the highest heavens, you're there. If I go east and west in the land, you're there. If I go and make my bed in hell, you're there. Even in the darkest moments where there is no light, and I think darkness is about to surround me, darkness isn't even dark to you because you are the light, you are there. Jesus wasn't theologically talking about the absence of God. Jesus was quoting scripture that, 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 that cried out where his soul was. In the wilderness of Jesus' life, in the justice-seeking of Jesus' life, in the suffering of Jesus' life, the Scripture was a source of strength for Jesus. Now, as I've already said, this is no surprise to you. More than once in all of our lives, I'm guessing the Bible has been a source of comfort or a source of support or challenge or a guidance for your decision-making as well. Just two weeks ago, I was sitting in a hospital room. I was about to leave. I said to the patient who I was visiting, I'm going to say a prayer for you before I go. Is there anything else that I can go do? Thinking that I might lift up a glass of water or go get a nurse or what? The person looked at me and said, could you just read some scripture? Could you just sit down for a moment and take a little time and read some scripture? My Bible's over on the window ledge. This past week, M. Judson Booksellers downtown ordered more copies of This I Know, the, the little book I had the privilege of writing a couple of years ago. They're $10 a piece. You can get two for $20 or three for 30. <laughs> Still paying off my children's student loans. Two different ministers called and ordered copies this week. I signed a book yesterday at the film, yesterday morning, for a lady who is visiting our church. You know, the reason that book was written, because there's a population of people who wanted to know and needed to know that the Bible belonged to them and still could give them comfort and guidance and support in their life. The Scripture is a source of strength and comfort but I am well aware during this Lenten season that our theme this year is come to the dark side. If you're at Ash Wednesday, Services Wednesday, you'll know that's our Lenten theme. And we're really not using that theme to say we want you to do evil during the season of Lent, come to the dark side. The theme is really to teach us that of all of the wonderful faithful things that we practice and hold, we confess that, well, they have a dark side. And such is the case with Scripture. Scripture is a true source of strength and comfort for us, but the misuse of Scripture is a source of pain and trauma for a lot of people. It took less than 10 seconds for the evil one to figure this out. Jesus is tempted, turn these bread and this, the stones into bread. First words out of Jesus' mouth were Scripture. The scriptures say that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And the evil one goes, oh, we're going to quote scripture. Is that what we're going to do? And every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God is what we're going to follow. That's what we're going to do. Well, here's what we do. I'm going to take you up to the pinnacle of the temple and jump off because the scriptures say that God's angels will come and protect you and hold you up and you won't even dash your foot against a stone if you jump. If we're going to quote scripture, I'm all in. 
Listen, everyone with an agenda, even the evil one, especially the evil one, knows how to quote and use Scripture. We've seen it throughout history. Scripture has been used to hurt other humans. Scripture has been used to uphold unjust systems. Scripture has been used to justify abuse and oppression. I mean, do I really need to go down the list for you and name them? Well, it's Lent, and we're supposed to make each other feel bad, so yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah, it's all about guilt, right? So let's just go down the list. You realize that the scriptures have been quoted and preached from pulpits and used by educated people to justify slavery in our past, to silence and even abuse women, to uphold segregation in daily life, to exclude the divorced from the community of faith, to abuse and deny human and civil rights to LGBTQ persons, to maintain white European male patriarchal power in the world. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Footnote, I'm just going to step aside for a minute. It's kind of ironic that the Bible is actually a Middle Eastern North African book. Did you know that? That the Bible comes out of the Middle East and North Africa, the whole book. But we adopted it in Europe, and you white people... (laughs) Oh, I'm Jewish. You white people... (laughs) You white people started colonizing the world with it and telling people how they're supposed to live according to your standards. We all know this. We've seen it. We've talked about it. We're aware of it. That's why I said years ago, I'm going to say it today, and I'm going to say it years from now. If your reading of the Bible causes you to judge or ostracize, or abuse, or oppress, or hate, or disrespect, or withhold grace from anyone, you are reading it wrong, period. But you know you're not far from the truth when you read the Scriptures, and it moves you toward reconciliation, or treating the oppressed justly, or understanding someone else, or just being kind. Liam, I know you love Christmas, and you're looking forward to Christmas next year. 299 days. <laughs> 299 days. I, I'm really looking forward to Epiphany next year. I, I really am. It's, I know most of you are looking forward to Christmas. I'm looking forward to Epiphany. Christmas, 299 days. Epiphany's 311 days, but I think we're going to make it. Epiphany is typically celebrated on the second Sunday after Christmas. It is the celebration of the coming of the wise men, the the magi visiting uh, the child, Jesus. And I know it's 311 days away, but I am absolutely looking forward to it in uh, 2021. And and here's why. I I, I spent some time with a Muslim scholar this week. He he wanted to talk with me, and, and his question was, Jim, what do you know about Mary, the mother of Jesus? I said, well, a little bit. And so I shared with him some of the basic stories about Mary in the Bible. I talked to him about some of the Roman Catholic traditions surrounding Mary that I grew up with. And then he told me about the Quran and who Mary is in the Quran and who Jesus is in the Quran and who Joseph is in the Quran and in other Muslim writings. And he said, we have a very deep reverence for Mary and for Joseph and for Jesus. And I know so little about her. I thought if we sat down, 
I could learn a little more, so we continued to chat. And I, I told him about the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem because it's such a wonderful story. It is the oldest standing church in the Holy Land. Many of you know this. Uh, during all of those centuries when Muslims and Christians were fighting each other, and it was a cycle of brutality that is just ridiculous, uh, the Christians would go in with their armies and destroy all the mosques and build churches, and then the Muslims would go in with their armies and destroy all the churches and build mosques, and then the Christians would go back in and destroy all the mosques and build churches, and the Muslims would go back in and destroy all the churches. It's just, it's just an ongoing cycle of animosity. The only church that hadn't been torn down since A.D. 400 is the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. Because the story is told that when the Muslim armies came into Bethlehem and marched into the church, there is a fresco, a huge fresco on the right-hand side on the wall, and it is the picture of the three wise men coming to visit the Nativity of the Christ. And they're all riding camels, and they are all dressed in Persian, what would look like Muslim garb and robes and clothing. And they had a respect for that building because their people were respected there. He was amazed at the story. And so he told me more stories from the Quran, and I told him more stories from the Bible, and I told him about our celebrations and what Epiphany was. And then his eyes lit up, and he said, you know what we should do? And I said, what? I should come to your church, and we should preach together on Epiphany. It's like the world coming to see Jesus and you opening up Jesus for the world. And I am looking forward to Epiphany in 2021 because we're going to be speaking together. Our holy texts, my Bible, his Quran brought us together. If Jesus had ever thought that his words would put us at odds with each other, Jews against Gentiles and citizens against immigrants and Republicans against Democrats, indigenous Palestinians against Jews and blacks against whites and gays against straight and men and women, I honestly believe, I honestly believe Jesus would have taken the Bible away from us. The words Jesus spoke, the words Jesus spoke were intended to have us washing each other's feet and touching lepers and accepting the love of a Samaritan and extending love to a Roman soldier and seeking healing for those who are abused and those who do the abusing. It's supposed to have us baptizing eunuchs and planning epiphany services with Muslims. I think you get the picture. But there is a dark side to Scripture. These are God's words to us to bring us together and to reveal God's love to the world. And may that be the only way we ever handle these texts. Let's pray together. Loving God, for revealing yourself to us in word, both the word Jesus Christ and the words of persons' written experiences, we are thankful. May these words never be used as weapons, but lifelines to everyone that we know. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 104, What Wondrous Love Is This? And this is the opportunity that we give to you as a church to come and join on this journey that we are on, to be a part of the worship and the work that occurs here and in the world. As we sing this hymn, if you would like to be a member of First Baptist Church Greenville, we would invite you to walk forward. I'll be standing at the front to meet you, and I assure you, we will welcome you. Let's stand together as we sing. <laughs> 